Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by Stewart Travel Guitars. See the incredible stowaway travel guitar at stewartguitars.com. Also brought to you by Idea Bench, makers of hot rod inspired pedal boards and pedal board accessories at ideabench.com. Microphones for Inside the Gillivers are brought to you by Rode Microphones. Now, please welcome your hosts, Tom Schnauz and Eric Broadbent. It's showtime, folks. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for a momentous episode eight of Inside the Gilliverse, where we talk all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent. It always comes with great pleasure to welcome my co-host, writer, director, and producer for a couple of those shows that we just talked about, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, Mr. Tom Schnauz. Tom, welcome back, my friend. Nice to have you here. Oh, and I lost your audio, Tom. What happened? Eric, it's better this way. <laughs> Let's see if Tom can figure it out. We got Vince. We're good. We're good. Tom's never sounded better. Uh-oh. We just had him a second ago. Oh, but he's not muted on my end. Uh-oh. No. Okay. All right. So he's going to figure it out. We'll keep talking for a sec. Vince, it is an absolute... Oh, did, no. I don't, we didn't hear anything yet. Tom, just go ahead and make some noise if you get figured out. Um, maybe you might have muted it in, within Zoom. Uh, not sure, but we'll figure that out. I know I didn't mute you on my end, but Vince, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart here and all of our fans here from the Gilliverse family. We, I think it is a very, very big... Oh, there we go. We got him. We got you, yeah. Tom. Am I back? You, you're our back. Yes, you see? And you, you did sound so good when you were silent as, as Vince and this I were just... This is what happens when Vince Gilligan enters the Gilliverse. I know, right? It just, it's, it's not, wasn't meant to happen. I know. Therefore, I'm going to mute you again. <laughs> Tom, Tom is talking. How dare you? I saw, I saw Vince. Did, he went like this, and all of a sudden, I was muted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're in That's for a night. night. We're in for a night. Tom, oh, take it away, my friend. Yeah. This is this is this is a perfect beginning. I can't imagine it going any better than this. <laughs> Look, let's just get into it. I know we have fans have lots of questions. I call this man my friend, my lover. I, when I say lover, it's not physical. It's light, light petting. But other than that, uh, here's Vince. Thanks for coming on, Vince. Hello, everybody. I am honored to, to be on this show. I just have a question for uh, for uh, Eric. Uh, why does Tom Schnauz's name come first? <laughs> well, this makes sense to me. well, he doesn't have a nice mustache like I do. I, I think my mustache kind of trumps him, but he's got more credits. I, I've, I've written a couple songs. He, he's written some great episodes, so he comes first. <laughs> for don't, now don't give, big, don't give him a big head well yeah he's got to earn it make him earn it okay it may change it may change we'll see i'm just we'll I'm, honestly i'm honored to have him for sure we're gonna okay. wrestle for it next time all right all right we'll do yeah, that i want to see that what was, what was, that, that, that'll be a good episode that'll be a very special episode of inside the gillivers there you go <laughs> what was the south park remember they go out in the parking lot and they call the rochambeau we'll go out in the parking lot and we'll rochambeau for it they kick each other in the crotch until the other person falls down and then you win. So Tom and I will get together, go in the parking lot in Albuquerque there somewhere on a set, and we'll just kick each other until one of us do falls down. Mean. There we go. I'll awesome. do whatever you want. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic to have both of you here. We're going to have a fun show. Do you want to jump in right into some fan questions, guys? Yeah. All right, we'll do that for sure. And and Tom and I have a couple good questions as well, too. And I'm not going to hold back on my questions tonight. i got a couple good ones for Vince as well, too. But that really sexy voice that you heard, and I'm not talking about Tom. I'm talking about the man speaking at the beginning of the show. That's Paul Sura. 
And actually, I'm going to come back to Paul because we have one just before him. And I mentioned to this this question to Vince uh, off the air because Vince saw it come in. This is from Shashank. Shashank's done a fantastic review on Better Call Saul and says, question to Vince, do you guys believe that the characters in the Breaking Bad universe are victim to their own circumstances or result of their choices? I love this question. Eric, Eric told me this question right before we went on the air here. That's an excellent question, Shashank. Um, and... I think, Woody, Tom, would you agree? I think they are victims of their own choices. I, I think, I mean, we had, we had, uh, we had back on Breaking Bad, we had uh, Walt at the bar talking to Jane's dad, and there was that whole question through the run of that episode and the next, the, I guess the next one, you know, is the world, is there fate or is the universe just random collisions of molecules and atoms and whatnot? But, I, to me, I think these 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 folks have hoisted themselves on their own petards with the with the decisions they make, and and I don't know. What do you think, Tom? I definitely think they make a lot of good or bad choices. I mean, everything is a choice. You don't have to start cooking meth, but a lot of times we'll try to stack the deck and make it seem like there's no there's no way out. There's nothing. I mean, certainly Jimmy and Chuck's relationship stacked against him. I mean, he could have gotten been a part of HHM if not for Chuck's actions to keep him out. So you, you feel like some of the choices he makes are, you know, is, is what, what else could he do? So, yeah, I think it's, I mean, but you can always make a choice. There's always another choice. So I think it's definitely their choices, but it's a comp. I think it's a good combination of the two. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like fate takes a hand, but, but I'd like to think mostly people, you know, have free will in this universe, as as I assume and hope and assume they do in, here in reality. Uh, and and yeah, you 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 your choices, your our lives are uh, are are the sum of our choices, and 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 hopefully we make more good ones than bad ones. And and uh, yeah. yeah. But sometimes, but again, I mean, your brilliant first episode of Breaking Bad, Walt getting cancer. That's a uh, that is not a choice he can he could make. It was something he had to suffer through, and which gave him roads to choose from, different roads to choose from that he otherwise would have not have gone down. So I think it's a really good combination of the of the two things together. But yes, there's always there's always better choices to make than, than a lot of what these characters do. <laughs> That's true. Hey, so now Eric has Tom told you how it really it was uh, just as much, uh, maybe more so Tom than me who came up with Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, well, not necessarily oh, he told me, well, but I know the story, and you're welcome to share that right now, which would be great. Well, now that Vince is yeah. now that Vince is here, we can nip the, this. Is I've gotten way too much credit for the, the, the creation of Breaking Bad over the years. The stories, uh, it's like no, we had a phone conversation. We could have been talking about anything, and Vince went away and came up with this brilliant idea. So I had nothing to do with the creation of Breaking Bad. The way I remember it is, I is Tom Tom uh, uh, pitched a brilliant uh, idea for for he and I to do, and I and I uh, shamelessly stole it. <laughs> made made you know, at stacks of Benjis. Yeah, you might say. Okay, but it was because well, Tom, you had read it. You had read a New York Times article about a guy who put a meth lab in a in a in a. Uh, what do you say, Eric, in Canada? You call it a caravan, like in the UK? Well, here in, in, in Canada, we call it a Winnebago. There you that's, go. A, that's a brand name, but we still kind of, you know, when you say you want to search something, you say Google. Well, when we go away in a camper, we call it a Winnebago or a thing like that or a motorhome. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Like uh, like Q-tips or Kleenex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this was this was back in the day when people would still talk to each other on the telephone instead of texting each other, and we were talking to each other, complaining about life. And I had read an article in New York Times about a guy who was cooking meth in an apartment complex, and his cooking got a little kid sick in the apartment ab- above him, and I was pissed off about that. And then we started talking about. Um, I think it was, uh, you know, during the Iraq war and it was uh, Saddam Hussein reports of moving chemical weapons around on a, you know, in a train and all this. And then somehow we morphed that into a joke about us driving around selling meth out of an RV for extra money because we weren't working at the time. (laughs) And then Vince goes away and comes back with this brilliant (laughs) plot for a, uh, for a TV show, which... Well, aren't we grateful? Aren't we grateful for it? I mean, it's some of the best things I think we've all watched. We've binge watched it. And it's one of those things where you listen to a really good band. Like Tom and I share some of the same musical influences. And we also listen to a lot of different things. But some of the music we listen to, you go back on an album, you know, that's 30, 40 years old. And you're like, you hear some things that you've never heard before. And I find the same thing in in the entire Gillaverse, covering all the, the shows that you've done, that you always see something in a different light. Or maybe you'll watch it through and you love the person the first time through next time you hate them next you know and vice versa and stuff so there's it's a, a long play of uh what's what's the replay value of of cinema it's it's great that way so it's fantastic and i think vince a lot of what you've done in your career which i really appreciate is seeing stories from a different perspective i mean normally i think 99 of the writers who would have come up with this idea would have done it from the police point of view or it's a it's about a a team looking to to stop this meth dealer in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where you, you know, along with so many of your X-Files characters and villains, uh, you've seen it from the monster's perspective. And this is really what happened with uh, Walter White. You're, you're tackling uh, this from, from the monster's view or, or the guy who was turning into the monster. And uh, very much the same with Saul Goodman with what you and Peter did here is, uh, is really special. Well, I am so confused by Tom being nice to me. <laughs> this is like really this is like it's like a keto or something. I'm like I'm completely wrong. I, but I I will say this all joking aside that Tom those very kind words uh, and and I want everyone listening or watching to know that uh, um, the worst episode of Breaking Bad was the first one because it was the only one written by one person. Both shows. Absolutely, group effort and uh, Tom's contribution is invaluable. In, couldn't even put a price tag on it. How valuable! And the same goes for Peter Gould. The same goes for all of the writers who of both shows and all of the all the people behind the camera and all the people in front of it. I, I just group effort. Group. Uh, I'm a little embarrassed. I'm very flattered. My ego is 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 quite uh, engorged. You know, by the you know Gilliverse. Uh, you know, but it, but it is, uh, it's, it's somewhat of a, I appreciate it, but it's somewhat of a misnomer because it's very much a group effort. I did try to talk Eric out of that name. 
I know. And I got to give, I got to give credit where credit's due. It was Peter Gould. I had Peter Gould on the show and I was saying Breaking Bad Universe or something like that. And he said, and I, I know I'm going to get a, his lawyers are going to contact me soon and say, Eric, we never discussed this. Uh, and I'm going to have to pay him or something or get him back on the show and give him a guitar or a couple of bobbleheads. I don't know what I can do. He's got all the bobbleheads, but that's where it came from. But I started a hashtag on Twitter today, Gilliverse family. And as you were just talking about a second ago, Vince, like there's so many people involved in this and it is a family. And I've, I've never been happier meeting some of these, these new friends and fans and they've all become friends now through the chat. And it's, it's the Gilliverse family. It's it's very it's fun, you know. We're all on the same page. We don't get trolls coming through the chat, you know, like we do sometimes in some of the other communities that we talk about. So there's something good about this community and, and the Gilliverse family. Well, God bless it. I have to say that Ariel Levine, our Emmy winning twice twice Emmy winning writer, uh, said, "Why isn't it the Gillixy?" So, <laughs> Gillixy, that's good. That's a good one too. But I don't want you. I don't want to have to make you change your T-shirt because that's uh, okay. <laughs> just, just for curiosity, as a trivia, and I got a lot of questions coming. Just as a trivia, do you know what it's okay? I we talked about Coco Bolo a few minutes ago. Maybe we were talking about this off the air. I thought the, if we were to take a little rocket ship into the Gilliverse, it would smell like Coco Bolo. Do you have an idea what it smells like if we enter the Gilliverse? Oh, you well, can guess. Uh, definite undertones of bacon. Uh, <laughs> bacon and, uh, bacon and uh, maybe not coca bolo, but cocoa butter. Okay. No, I, I answered this question weeks ago, and the correct answer is bacon and fear is the smell. <laughs> I got it half right. I'm just glad yeah. you got bacon. As a Canadian, that's like the, we're, we're born with like we get a birth certificate and we get back bacon. We get our bacon sent to us. It's just, it's in our DNA. That's awesome. Let's jump over to a question. I was, I was talking about a sexy voice, and that was the man that you heard at the beginning, Paul Sura. Uh, he says, question for Vince, was there, uh, this is a good question, and t- Tom, as a writer as well, too, you'll be involved in this. Was there, has there ever been a point in either Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul where you felt you have painted yourselves in a corner with a plot or a character or said, now what do we do? Oh, man, yeah. All the time. <laughs> All the time. What was the worst? Let's just talk about the worst one. I, I don't know. I guess, Tom, what do you think? The worst one was... Uh, well, the one I always bring up, my favorite one is uh, Jesse and, and Walt in the RV with Hank mm. outside, yeah. that's what which I took was us thinking. a week yeah. or more to figure out. And I think that's, I, hopefully that's what keeps the pe- people coming back to the show is that it takes a group of writers. Um, I like to think that we're smart, but <laughs> this, this group of people so long to figure out an answer to a problem that hopefully will, will be surprising and fun. Yeah. Um, so that's we love to paint ourselves in court. Well, not we don't love to do it, but it's it happens and it's uh, I think it benefits the show. I couldn't agree more, and that's the same example I would have given Walt and Jesse stuck in that RV in the junkyard with 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 Hank prowling around. It, it took yeah, it was it was a painful, scary week. <laughs> we were we were there, and then it was like, and we literally talked about do they do they use some kind of tool in the RV to cut a hole in the, in the, in the floor. I mean, I didn't know. There's, a, there's a vent. There's a, there's a grate underneath. They just happened to be parked right, over right. <laughs> a sewer line. Or yeah. Something. Oh. That's right. There's a, there's a manhole. There's a manhole yeah. stuff in and you pull it aside and, and it took, and then when we figured it out, it, it, it God, the, the flood of relief that I personally felt. And, I tell you, but you know what? That one is the is the same exact example I was gonna say too. The one that Tom brought up, but the most painful one of all was the M60 machine gun. Yes, a five hundred one. That that one scared me 
more than even the uh, the RV thing we just yeah. talked about because I really thought we were we had we had you know we were done for. And yeah. I kept staying in the room. You know, what, what if let's just pretend that that never happened? Everybody you can't. Like, what do we do? We made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. but Can it's believable. Like you watch it back. Well, I also like that uh, between season five A and five B, we started with the the gun in the trunk, and then we doubled down and put rice in behind a a wall outlet in in Walt's house. So we also had no idea how it was yeah. going to be used. And we had a kind of an idea, but. Um, <laughs> I don't recommend it. Anyone, any budding, uh, 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 you know, and I'm sure there are listening. Folks are going to have their own show at some point, or, or if you're writing a novel or a series of novels, or you're writing a movie, whatever. It's just, yeah, try not to try not to do that to yourself more often than you absolutely <laughs> have to, because it's. I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, uh, and we're right in the middle of one right. We're right in the middle of one right now. Is how do we yeah. connect? Yeah. Jimmy's world with the world of Better Call Saul. I mean, uh, Breaking Bad, in a yeah. way that is satisfying and makes sense. Yeah. So that's uh, that's another corner. This whole series of Better Call Saul is us in a corner figuring out how the hell do we yeah. <laughs> have this all make sense. Yeah. Well, your track records have spoke for yourself, so I think we're we're in good hands for sure. And at the end of all of that, it's all believable, and it looks like it was just a cakewalk for you guys. Meanwhile, you know, it, it certainly wasn't. Uh, here, we're going to talk about a question coming up in a moment from a birthday girl from Arabella. We're going to talk about her birthday, and she has a great question from a Super Chat from Price of Reason. When you shopped Breaking Bad to networks, were you ever discouraged by their hesitancy to greenlight such a cutting-edge show? Uh, did you always believe? I'm not sure if I see the rest of the question there, but um, you know, maybe did you believe in yourselves to, to shop that? But did you face any hesitation from the networks? Yeah, we did. You mean uh, going back to Breaking Bad? We we certainly did. But uh, and by the way, is this? I'm sorry that the young woman who asked this question is it's her birthday. Actually, coming up, we'll we'll talk about that. No, oh, she okay. didn't. She right. did, yeah, she didn't well, ask this well, one yet. Let me miss wishing a happy birthday. No problem. Uh, Good. This is this is a good question. Uh, the one about the, the one I'm answering currently. Um, you know what? Yes, networks were uh, reluctant to say the least uh, to to buy Breaking Bad, but no more so than anything else I've ever pitched in my life up to that point. I I, I do not. I did not have a great track record before that of selling ideas, and the ideas I would try to sell before that in my memory at least, were far more, I don't know, quotidian or prosaic or whatever, whatever the right word is. Not not quite as out there as Breaking Bad. And, I, you know, it, more often than not, when you try to sell an idea, I mean, everyone here's, you know, anyone watching who's uh, who wants to do this for a living, there's, ever, there's always a story out there about someone, oh, you know, I came up with this idea on a, on a Tuesday and I wrote it on a cocktail napkin and by Wednesday, you know, I was I was pitching it around, and, and fourteen different people wanted to buy it. And there were it was a it was a bidding war. It, it like you know, it was a, those things do happen, but more often than not, you, you know, you don't you don't sell what you're what you're out there hawking. And it didn't surprise me a bit when people uh, did not want to buy Breaking Bad because I knew it was an insane idea, but it really got me excited and. You know, if you have an idea that excites you, go forward with courage, even if you think it's it's going to be a harder sell, because you just never know. You just never know what's going to sell, and it, none of it makes sense. Now, you know the old uh, William Goldman thing: nobody knows anything, and it's true. But uh, you know, it, it 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 wasn't any harder to sell than a lot more 
a lot less danger, dangerous ideas uh, that I had pitched in the past, a great many of them, which never sold. So, and also we didn't pitch it everywhere. We didn't pitch it every network there was because we knew most, most of the networks wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do it. There weren't that many potential buyers. We only really pitched to uh, HBO, TNT, FX. Uh, I don't even think we ever even pitched to Showtime because uh, I think we heard from through the grapevine that they were, I didn't even know about weeds and I think they had weeds. All but, right. Uh, I, I didn't, thank God I didn't know about that because that would have freaked me out. Oh my God, there's already a show about a, 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 a you know a non-law-breaking regular person selling you know making money off drugs, but we didn't really pitch it around that much, uh, and we didn't pitch it to AMC. But thank God for AMC because they're the ones who ultimately uh, you know if uh, wouldn't be here, no one would ever heard of the Gillivers if it hadn't been for <laughs> AMC. So God bless them. But we never even pitched it to them. We, they they found us, which was great. That's awesome. Well, I mean, you can, you can and really thank God you you never heard of weeds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Knowing you and knowing just like me, if, if anything kind of mildly resembles something you're working on, it's no. like, damn it, I got to throw it out now. I yeah, I, I got. I hadn't heard of it. I, I would have more likely than not, I would have thrown it out because I would have said, "This sounds like I'm trying to rip them off." Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can you can take the drugs out of the entire equation, out of out of all the shows, and it's basically it's morals of right and wrong, and we have we have to know when to bet those choices, bad choices, good choices, all those things. And as I've said to my son many times, I said, "There's a lot of ways to make money real fast, real quick," and I would much rather be a broke person than to make money illegally and hurt people, and you know whatever the way is. So you could take all the drugs out of Breaking Bad. And just choices that people made. So the, the the you peel away all the layers of the onion of those shows. It's just great writing through and through. But here's that question. That's a much, from, that's a much different lesson than I'm teaching my children. So. I can imagine. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. Uh, this is the birth. You know, like uh, if you if uh, once the malls reopen, kids go for the shiny expensive stuff down at Island. Right? <laughs> it's not going to smash it. Dad has to pay for it. That's right. I'm like I'm like Orson Welles in The Third Man. So it's like just a couple of ants down there. This you know who's gonna miss them? <laughs> you heard a few people. That's right. That's right. Imagine the benefits to you. Here's a question from Monday's birthday girl. So it's birthday weekend for Arabella, one of her regulars. She's got great questions. She's had some great questions for uh, Ray Seahorn when she's been on the show, and this has to deal with Ray. She says, um, Vince has called Ray Seahorn the find of Better Call Saul, saying that there's nothing, she can do anything. Uh, So what is it like working with her, and how did you come up with the idea of a character like Kim? Well, first of all, happy birthday, uh, Arabella. Happy birthday, Arabella. I hope you're having a great day. Happy birthday. I hope you're having a great one. And excellent question. And boy, you nailed it. And Ray Seahorn is the best. Unfortunately, she is very unpleasant to work with. <laughs> very first. Uh, she's one of those. It happens in Hollywood. People don't like eye contact. I don't know what it is. And they, they you know, but uh, don't look at me in the eye. Don't address me. Address me in the third person only. Uh, I've been hit by so many shoes in the head. <laughs> Flying across set, she's yeah, she's terrible. Tiny little shoes, hitting you in the head. No, no. no she is. Uh, I, I joke. Uh, she is uh, just as big a dreamboat as you uh, think she is. And yeah, I I, I, I don't want to go on public record as saying she is the find of, of Better Call Saul because I get in trouble with all our other wonderful actors. <laughs> but uh, uh, nor would I argue that statement either because she is, she's amazing. And and uh, no, she is just 
we, we, we were, we count her blessings every day that, uh, that we, you know, and, and the funny thing is she, she read for us. We didn't, we didn't know how good she was. Uh, her first, um, you know, the, the, the business has really changed, uh, since, since I was since Tom and I, uh, were on the X-Files, the business really changed, you know, back in the, in the day you'd, you'd watch an audition in person. And then came, uh, uh, you know, VHS tape, and, and then came uh, the iPad. And and so uh, when it came around to Better Call Saul, we were watching all these uh, wonderful actors, uh, you know, on a, on an iPad or, or on a you know on a laptop or on a desktop or whatever, watching their taped auditions. And her first taped audition, and Tom has maybe told the story before. Uh, you know, we greeked up the sides that these actors would read so thoroughly that uh, we should have just, you know, given them a scene from the pilot, but we didn't want any of the scenes from the pilot to get out in the world. So we had one of our excellent uh, uh, assistants uh, who are very talented writers themselves, take the basic idea of the emotions we wanted to see and Greek up these scenes that had nothing to do with Better Call Saul. And we probably over, probably overly Greeked up the scene that we first gave Ray Seahorn and she, we thought, oh, this is a really talented actress, but I don't think this is who we're looking for. And through no fault of her own, but you know, and, and then we kept looking and kept looking and kept looking for this to, to, to cast this part. And we were kind of in trouble, right, Tom? Is it, am I to remember this right? And then we went back a second time looking through the old, because we'd seen a lot of actresses, a lot of great actresses. You know, we don't see any any clunkers. Uh, Bialy Thomas uh, doesn't send us any bad actors or actresses. We saw nothing but good ones, but we were having a hard time casting this role. There was only this, we actually, she came, she, God bless her, she read a second time with with different sides, with a whole different scene, and suddenly we saw it. And I just thank God we did, because she said, Ray is, I mean, she's just a, she's a star. And, and, and one of the weird things about it was that for some reason, that day we were watching that audition, Bill Hader had come to the room to the visit. So Bill Hader was there. Right. I remember him commenting and saying, boy, she's really doing a lot of really great things. She's really good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that was a good imprimatur. He, he knows he knows talent when he sees it. He is he is talent. And I love Bill Hader. I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, right. But no, I couldn't agree more with Arabella, uh, the, with the birthday girl. Uh, Ray is uh, uh, just like, She's fantastic. Yeah, we knew she was good, but I don't really know if we understood exactly the importance of the character. I don't even know. I mean, was it season two that we finally started understanding that how important Kim was to the to the overall story or late season one? It's just uh, it really definitely season two. It kicked in uh, with with that scene about Jimmy asking, is this going to happen? Right. Between us, because before right. that, it was almost like, are, are they, were they a couple? Are they romantic? Are they not? It was, right. we kind of kept it hazy, which I actually liked a lot because it felt very real. Me too. And we didn't really know ourselves uh, at the beginning. And by the way, this, you bring up an excellent philosophical question, an excellent chicken or the egg type question. Did, was it that we didn't know how important Kim Wexler was to Jimmy McGill and to the show, or was it that Ray Seahorn was so damn good that the, sh- the, sh- the ship steered itself, the rudder just went, you know, and the, and the, and we purposefully and, and 
perhaps even unconsciously, consciously, unconsciously starts steering the ship in that direction. I would argue the latter. I would argue that, that that's what it was because he, you know, if, if, if Ray hadn't worked out, he could have had another girlfriend. He could have had, we could have, you know, you know, an episode eight or 10 or 12, we cast some you know, wonderful act, actors, yeah. but yeah, but it's just very I much think, like Aaron Paul. I think Aaron, with your experience on Breaking Bad. Exactly. Aaron Paul. It's the Aaron Paul effect. Uh, Jesse Pinkman, as, as folks, I'm sure folks who watch this know, he was not intended to go the, go, go the distance on Breaking Bad. He was only going to last till the end of, uh, of season one initially. Uh, same, it's the Aaron Paul effect. It's, uh, yeah, Ray Seahorn really uh, wrote her own ticket because she is so, so wonderfully, uh, so wonderful, so good. Awesome question for sure. I mean, it's really good. Arabella always has great questions. And since we're on the birthday section for a second, our very own moderator, Ladybug Leanne, and has a birthday month, and her son Trey has a birthday on Monday. So happy birthday to Leanne and Trey. Very, very nice. Happy birthday, Trey and Leanne. I'm going to be selfish for one millisecond. I got Tom knows I have four questions. I'm going to pull two of them away, probably even three of them, because I want to make sure all our fans get questions, and Tom will have some good questions. But a question I have for you, Vince, is <laughs> he's shaking his head. It's been over a decade since Breaking Bad kind of crossed the uh, the airwaves and the TV and all the networks that we, we enjoyed watching. But if you're just writing today, it's 2020. we got a crazy year upon us. It's Everything's upside down. We're kind of in the upside down world. What would you do differently if you started writing Breaking Bad today, if anything? That's a good question. I don't know. It's the best questions are also the hardest to answer. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not starting now because, well, for one thing, and I'm not mean to be all like like depressive sounding, but at age 53 versus at age 40, I'm a different person. And if I hadn't, you know, it's, it's a hard question to answer because you know. Does it presuppose that I wouldn't have had any success? I mean, wouldn't have had the success of Breaking Bad was so outsized and so unpredicted by me, by everybody, least of all me, that uh, I just didn't I didn't know it was possible. And it's made me a little more gun shy. You know, when you have success doesn't teach you anything. And uh, failure is the only thing in life that teaches you something, which is a shame because nobody likes it least of all me, but it's the only thing you learn from. But I, I'm going off way off on a tangent here, but okay. I, I, if, if, if uh, you know, uh, the older I get, you know, a lot of people get this way, but the, you know, you get a little more scared of swinging for the fences. And I, I don't know if I was trying to create this now, I, I think some things would have about it might scare me off. I'm glad it happened when it happened. As far as external factors, a pandemic or uh, the existence of the iPad or, or you know, the general political you know, the divisiveness of the country or whatever, I don't know that I would have incorporated, at least consciously, stuff like that. I, I tr- just as I didn't try to incorporate too many. I, I, want, I want to write stuff, create stuff that has a sort of a timeless feel. When mm-hmm. I go back and watch movies or TV shows, the ones I love the most, they have a they have an out-of-time quality. They don't feel too much of a certain time and place. And I, 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 there's nothing wrong with a very topical TV show, but it's just not what I lean toward because I, I you know, you want to, you want, we all secretly want to be Shakespeare and have people quoting our dialogue 500 years after we die. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, I don't know uh, if external factors would have changed much, but who I am 13, 14 years later is different. And that might have changed things or I might not even go forward. So I, don't know. I really thought his answer was going to be more nudity. If you had done it differently today, just more. It's oh, more relaxed. More today. Nudity. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect that long answer. Anyway, I do like the question. I do like the fact I do like the fact that it's not dated. Like you don't stick like a Facebook reference in or this or that. And some shows are just so locked in and you go back and you watch it later on. You're like, oh man, that's like so 2000s. But on a similar question, this is a super chat from Sean Grumble. So kind of uh, Grumble. Um, some, or, uh, I think I might be pronouncing that wrong. But anyways, what would you have done differently with better Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul if the network had given you 100% creative freedom and movie level time uh, budgets for each episode? So uh, El Camino obviously had maybe a bit more budget or you know, network's different. It's more of a movie type production. But if you yeah. had full control, would there be anything different that way? You know what? They It was a dream situation. Even when, at the start of Breaking Bad, we didn't have much money, but we had time which is more important still than money. And we had uh, a network and a studio that uh, believed in us. And even if they didn't believe in us, they kept, they kept their disbelief to themselves. And they, uh, and they didn't, they didn't try to second guess everything we did. They were, they were wonderful. Both companies were wonderful. It was a dream. And on, on the part of the network, AMC, they, they already had Mad Men, which is, but it hadn't quite turned into the amazing phenomenon that it turned into when we started. Uh, but they, they just wanted to do something different, just like we did. And they, they weren't trying to second guess uh, everything. And, and it, it was, a, I, I don't know that I would do much different. I, I uh, we got to curse the first few episodes, knowing that the F-bombs would be uh, dipped so we didn't really, there wasn't really much we couldn't do. Uh, you know, nudity and stuff like that I, it didn't really come up that much. It, the, the story didn't really, hit, you know, every now and then, you know, in those early seasons, you know, the, one, one time, you know, Jesse goes to a strip club or something like that. But I, I'm, I'm not great with writing sex scenes or whatever. They don't, they don't, <laughs> they want to be pathetic. Tommy, I'm sure Tom would love to write Villian birthday tuggies and whatnot <laughs> it's, it's like you know they're they're not they're not slow motion and, and sensuous and, and uh, they don't make you want to have sex yeah so <laughs> but i i you know and by you know i will say this i i tend to draw these answers out sorry it's okay more money more money i don't think would have would have helped time is of infinite importance have the essence more time you have in a writer's room to figure stuff out and sometimes time, a lot of times time equals money, but just sheer dollars to throw at the, uh, you know, oh, you know, we could have had, we could have had more helicopter, we could have had helicopter shots in every episode, you know, <laughs> 2,500 bucks an hour, you know, you know what, actually, you're the luckiest thing that can happen to you, whether you realize it at the time or not, is to not have all the money in the world, yeah. because it makes you work that much harder. Uh, Peter Gould always says, uh, art, there is no art without the frame. And I, I, I don't know if he words it exactly like that, but my takeaway is that it's the frame around the art is as important in a sense. It's, it's not, the, you know, you know there's a gold leaf frame or it's ornate. He means the, the physical space that the art exists within is in and of itself 
it, it, it constrains the art to a certain degree, and, and it's that constraint that, that helps define the art. And if you have no constraints, no boundaries whatsoever, if you can show anything, if you can say any, any bad word, if you can show any nudity or any or worse, any kind of violence, you know, and, and that's the thing we, we, boy, we never shied away from. But it, and this show, by the way, not for everybody, not for kids. Uh, but if you can do anything and you have no constraints at all, uh, it, 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 it feels wonderful, but in a weird way, it's its own kind of trap. It's, it's those constraints sometimes that lead you to greater creative heights. And I, I, I hope the answer would be, I, I wouldn't really, you know, wouldn't do anything different. I would have just, uh, you know, uh, sock some of that extra money away. Rainy day fund. What's well, it's funny you're speaking metaphorically about the framing and things like that, but also if you want to look in the real world as well too, like some of the cinematography that's been presented from your teams, you know, from Michael and and Marshall and and everyone and all of their teams. I mean, every scene you can pause in any scene at any one of your shows and have a postcard that you can send to your family. It's just absolutely brilliant, you know. Um, so I mean, the, the real frames in real life are, are beautiful as well too. A continued question here as well too, and this could be for both of you. This is a super chat from James. It says, how do you come up with the backstories and flashbacks that feel organic for example jimmy's backstory and then the flashbacks in el camino and that can be taken uh, maybe was el camino will let you handle that vince and then for for anything else both of you for sure yeah i mean tom what do you think as far i can i can talk el camino but uh i mean it's it's hard fought isn't it all the flashbacks just like the non-flashback stuff wouldn't you say? yeah we try not to too i mean uh, again peter always references uh broadcast news as a movie that showed the characters in their youth and they were just younger versions of themselves. And we're, that's like when we showed young Kim, we tried not to show a, just a younger version of Kim Wexler, but some moment, some little piece that just didn't say, Oh, this absolutely is what turned her into this person or it had such a damaging effect on her. It was a very small moment that tells you her psychology as a child. So we try not to spell things out and, and say, oh, he he is this way because of this moment in time. It was just a very, you know, Jimmy's uh, seeing his dad get conned uh, in a store, that, that moment where you could tell he's just upset with his dad being the sheep or the sucker in that moment. But it wasn't a big, it was a big moment. He's, you know, he slams the cash register shut and sits there. But we tell it has, has a, you know, very small impact on him that carries throughout the rest of his life. So... We, you know, we try to use them sparingly and not a lot, but uh, uh, for Vince El Camino, you, you use them because so many of those characters were dead. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah that's, that's, that you wanted to see moments in Jesse's life that uh, that helped tell the story. Yeah, the, the, the answer in El Camino is it's, it's every bit as simple as that. I selfishly wanted to see... Uh, I wanted to see uh, how could you do a Breaking Bad movie without seeing uh, with Walt, without seeing Walter White, and it started right right then and there, and uh, and then I thought, you know, and oh my God, and Jane being able to see uh, Kristen Ritter, yeah. that was that was she is so sweet, and what a talented actress, actor. I guess I should say actor. I guess mm -hmm. it's all anyway. Uh, yeah, it was. I just wanted to see all these people who were and, and, and hang, you know, how do you not see Mike? You know, how do you? Yeah. You know, and then, but then, of course, uh, I don't know. I'm rambling. But yeah, it's it's. Well, all the scenes were key to key to Jesse's story and explaining where he was going. So it 
they weren't just flashbacks for the sake yeah. of flashbacks. They really helped fill in no fan service his mindset to where what how he's getting to the what what his death final destination is exactly. And that's my hope that that people you know uh, watching this agree that it it you know. As a fan of a great many things, I love fan service as much as anybody. If I'm a fan of something, I, oh man, oh, I so wanted to see, you know, this actor or whatever, you know. But I think uh, inherent in the question, as 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 you related it, Eric, it's it's it, you know you want it. I love that word organic that was in the question. You want it to feel, you want it to be organic. If if there's not a point to it other than fan service, then you're missing you're missing a trick as a writer, as a storyteller. You want you want it to be always organic and you want it to always move the story forward, move our understanding of the characters forward, move the plot forward. Both are valid mm -hmm. uh, outcomes. Sometimes you can do both at the same time, which feels like a real hat trick. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you can do fan service move the plot forward and, and illuminate, further illuminate our understanding of any given character all in one flashback. That is a hat trick. That is a good feeling. That's a, that's a good day when you're in the room when you do that. Yeah. One of our, I think one of our great flashbacks that this really just stands out in the show is we were trying to figure out, we're trying to get to this moment where Hector Salamanca would agree to, to set off a bomb and kill himself to kill Gus Fring and why does Gus hate Hector so much and why does Hector hate Gus so much and in the middle of season four we decided well we can go back and show this moment in time when when Gus and Hector and Max uh, and Don Eladio all met together and Max was killed by the side of the pool and I think that I mean that just boy did that help us a ton <laughs> that flashback so that was just one of those that was one of those things and that's a rare flashback where we would at the Instead of, we usually do teaser flashbacks, and that was a rare one where it came at the very end of the show. Right. And it was just, it was unusual for us, but I think it really helped a lot. Oh, that was, oh, that that's a perfect example. Perfect example. Because, yeah, I mean, it, it, it illuminated, we didn't even know. I mean, it, we, we learned things from that flashback. And, and it continues to pay dividends uh, on, on, on a whole other television series. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, yeah, oh, that was a, that was a good and boy, did Johan Rink do a great job directing that one. But that it's so awful to contemplate. It's so awful to see. It's very violent, but it's. I hate to even use the word beautiful, but it's kind of beautiful. That shot uh, of, of Max dead, staring into space, and the blood coming out and, into and the pool. It. It's it's uh, it's just a beautiful. I hate to use the word beautiful. But no, but. Yeah. No, you, you know that as, as a very, very good question and a great answer. So thank you for sharing that as well, too. Uh, here is a question, and this might go towards uh, uh, the good people over at Super Music Vision, but you might have had a lot to do with this as well, too. Karina is asking, by the way, there's so many birthdays in the Gillivers family. Uh, Karina's birthday last weekend. We had a nice uh, shout-out from, uh, uh, from the Salamanca twins. Uh, Karina says, my question is, since I know you came up with the using Bad Fingers Baby Blue for the final scene and the finale... When did you first come up with that choice, and did you just know you had to use it? Uh, happy birthday, Karina. Uh, and um, I, 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 you know what? Yeah, I did come up with that one, but I want to, I want to hasten to add that the very finest moments of, 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 I mean, I tell you, our show wouldn't be what it is if, if not for the music, if not for Dave Porter's 
composed music, and if not for Thomas Goyevich's, uh these amazing uh, uh, songs, pre-existing, uh, uh, you know, songs and, and, and bits of music that he finds for us. And my very favorite musical, not counting Dave's composed stuff, my, mm-hmm. my, my other very favorite musical moments are stuff Thomas found with the help of, of, of his wonderful folks at Super Music Vision, you know, I don't know who does what there, but yeah. I know there are like this, uh, this magic, uh, like, you know, like a magic picture, like Santa's elf workshop. They come up with stuff I would have never in my wildest dreams come up with. And it could be argued that Badfinger was maybe a little too on the nose, but, uh, and I bet you, I, Thomas, I, I know would have come up with something fantastic, but it just, I was driving to work, uh, on Burbank Boulevard driving to an old office or a writer's room office at the corner of Burbank and Buena Vista there in uh, beautiful, beautiful Burbank, California, as uh, Johnny Carson used to say. And I could practically picture what cross street I was on. And I was listening to Sirius XM radio in my car, which is the greatest invention. I hate technology. I hate <laughs> I think it's destroying the world for the most part, except for the fact that I do love uh, uh, satellite radio. And, you know, you got the 40s channel, you got the 50s channel, you got the 60s channel. And I just go back and forth between all the decades driving to work. And I was on the 70s channel and Badfinger comes on. And uh, and I'm thinking, how come this is such a great song? It's, and I, I apologize, I'm talking to two musicians here. But oh, good. It's a great, was his bass line or what? Did the, bass, the bass bit of it is so hooky. And I'm thinking, how come you don't? They don't, you know. There's certain songs from the '70s that they overplay. How come they? How come there's not more Badfinger playing, especially this song, you know, Baby Blue? How come? How come it's once, in like every third presidential cycle that I hear Baby Blue in the radio? <laughs> but I happen to be driving to work and I play it, and I thought, oh my God! I'm listening. I'm really listening to the lyrics for the first time. Usually, I'm just you know grooving out to the to the to the bass, you know, and the, the melody. I'm thinking, oh my God. And I almost like went off the road. I could picture where I was when I when I heard it, and uh, I thought, "God, how could we not?" Uh, yeah, so that's when that happened. But I want to hasten to add, you know, Thomas. Thomas is the magician, and uh, that was a rare instance of rare. I want to be precise. Rare instance of of of, of me saying, "Hey, Thomas, I got the song." You know, because that, that didn't happen that often, and, and it still doesn't. It's a good team. Baby. I was not on the show in season two. Uh, when did, do you remember what the decision was to make the meth blue? Why? Uh, where did that come from? Why? Why blue? And um, that's a good question. Shows that you know. I think. I think we felt. You know, I'm like the worst person to answer questions because I forget <laughs> so much. But I, I, I want to say. We're going through this tonight. We're going to answer all these questions tonight, oh. guys. <laughs> I guarantee you, if I played any of the people watching this, any of the fans uh, watching this, if I played Breaking Bad Trivial Pursuit, I would lose to them. I, I, <laughs> I would actually bet money that I would. Well, then I, you know, anyway. But, uh, but uh, I think it was probably that we felt it incumbent upon, you know, just story-wise, it felt right that, you know, there's a new, there's a new, there's a new meth cook in town, and the meth itself should be visibly different. And you know, yellow feels like the wrong color. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it feels yellow 
you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but it feels like that would that would signify impurities. But blue, you think of, well, you know, blue, like, it could be super pure. And then we talked to our, uh, we had a, a wonderful, Dr. Donna, Dr. Donna, who was a wonderful lady from the University of Oklahoma, I want to say, who's our, our chemist who was helping us out uh, as our technical advisor. And she was very, very kind to me, knowing what a knucklehead I am science-wise. But I think I said to her on, on a phone call, you know, we want this to look different. And she said, yeah. I said, but it could still be pure, right? If even it was blue. And she said, well, she was very gentle with me. She said, the very fact that it suddenly has a color when before it didn't essentially means that there's an impurity in it. But, you know, go with God. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it, technically, the blue itself, uh, you know, because it's supposed to be 99.1% pure or whatever, but the you know, we it, it was a, that was that was really what you call poetic license or artistic license. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, it gives me a great idea for a series. Sometime get you back on the show. We'll have a stump Vince Gilligan, and we're gonna get these super fans, and we'll see how many times we can stump you. And it, and I, I imagine it might be a few, which would be funny. Uh, and then we'll see the super fan that you are as well too, from outside looking in. Here's a good question from a super chat from the Saul Goodman Twitter. Saul Goodman's very popular on Twitter. Uh, Vince, biggest fan. Uh, how do you think Marie, Skyler, and Walt Jr. are doing? And he also says hi to Tom and I. So how do you think Marie, Skyler, and Walt Jr. are doing in the future of the Gilverse? I hope well. They deserve to. Uh, Skyler and Walter Jr. and Marie all, all deserve better lives because they were all they were all victims. They were all victims of Walter White. And uh, it's, a, it's the darndest thing. I mean, Walter White, my, my, my sweet mom, Gail Gilligan, back in uh, back in Chesterfield County, Virginia. I don't I don't believe for a minute she would have ever watch Breaking Bad, except that her son, you know, uh, you know, it's her son show. But uh, at the end, when after she watched the last episode, she watched it in the air, you know, with everybody else, and she said, "I, I don't think he should have died at the end. I think he should have let him get away with it." I said, "Mom, what? You, the guy's a monster. You know, you look look what he did to his family. Look what he did to." Yeah, but still, I think he should have got away with it. <laughs> I saw a good interview with you talking about that. My mom, mom was, uh, come on, you're being a little too hard. And and speaking of moms, we've got Tom's mom watching every week. We're blessed to have her. Mom watches every week. She said, say hi. Tom, Tom's mom is very sweet. I love I love, uh, I love, love Tom's mom and Tom's smoking hot sister. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I hope this one day I get to say hi to his mom for sure. I've got a little sneak peek behind the curtain of... Uh, uh, the kids at home and his beautiful wife as well too. It's nice. We're all part of this Gilliver's family. Here's one little question. This is my last time I promise to be selfish for the evening. Are there any stories left to be told uh, from within the Gilliverse? Probably. I would. Tom, what do you think? I mean, I, I think we. I think we. There's probably. The question is, you know, what the question is not. I think yes. The answer is there are plenty of. You know, there's plenty of stories still left to tell, but should we? Well, I mean, what do you right, think, Tom? Right. I mean, you know, should we? Should we keep? Should we keep uh, looking for spare change in the sofa cushion? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to do Peter Dyseth's show. Yeah, there you go. Oakley. I'm ready to follow Oakley for a se- for a couple of seasons. Was I love it, that guy. It's Oakley? Question uh, exclamation. <laughs> he is, boy. He is. You know, I've never actually had never even met him in person. Oh, Damn, oh really? Oh, oh he's great. He is man. He is uh, he is funny. 
I love yeah. him. He is, he is we, love, we love having him on the on the show, and he's, yeah. he's yeah, he's gold every time. He kicked it oh, off. He, he kicked off the Gillivers for us. It was a, he was our very first right, guest. Our first guest. Yeah, and a cat lover, and he's taught me how to appreciate cats. We have a new cat here in in the house, and uh, love her to death. And uh, actually, le- leads me to a, another little point I want to make very quickly because we're approaching the end of the show. Uh, I got to watch her around the bobbleheads. And uh, we were showing you, I was showing uh, Tom the the Hector, actually, both of you guys, actually, the, the bobbleheads before the show. We're working very closely with our friends over at bobbleheads.com and Royal Bobbles. I know they're in the chat tonight. Warren, you got a chance to meet Warren, um, the president of the company. Yeah. So we're going to announce a winner at right now at the moment. We've got the Kim Wexler uh, bobblehead. And this was a contest where you just had to follow us on Twitter and retweet something, a uh, little post that we had. And when Ray was on the show a few weeks back as well, too, she had one. She showed the, the audience, which was really nice. So I know she loves it. So the winner of this giveaway for September is Pinterest Fail Mom. So congratulations, Pinterest Fail Mom. That's kind of a funny name as well, too. You know, watching these things for recipe ideas or something and always a fail. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. So congratulations. And over on our Instagram page, we're doing another one right now. So Instagram.com slash Inside the Gilliverse. We're giving away. We talked about Hector Salamanca. Fantastic. Look at the money. Show me the money. And uh, uh, this is fantastic. With a working bell. Ding, ding, ding. Very, very nice. So you just got to follow us over on Instagram. And uh, we're going to be giving one of those away at the end of the month as well, too. But I think we got some more questions coming in here as well, too. Uh, I got the Saul Goodman one um, from James. Okay, we talked about the flashbacks. There is one here as well, too, from uh, uh, from Inez or Inez. How hard was it uh, writing Better Call Saul's final season uh, compared to Breaking Bad final season? So, okay, you guys are in the writer's room right now. Tom, I think last time you talked about you were up to episode eight. Can you comment? further where you are now and is and and I and Vince maybe you can also share your involvement this year in season six and how hard is it writing this final season compared to Breaking Bad you've, you've had a lot of experience obviously by this point oh, man. yeah we just finished breaking episode eight and uh you know it's it's hard <laughs> it's 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 not easy fitting this these two giant puzzles together because there's but a lot of you get to do it on zoom <laughs> That's right, and it's all done on Zoom, which makes it even more. I can imagine. Uh, and and uh, it, it, can we say Patrick Fabian's uh, 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 sister-in-law is like one of the folks who runs Zoom? <laughs> so I, I, no, no knock on you know it's it's not Zoom per se. No knock on on any particular video video conferencing software. It's just. I think we all miss being in a room together. Yeah. Uh, so it makes it exponentially harder. We're lucky Zoom exists. And, and uh, you know, so we're powered to Patrick Fabian's sister-in-law and all the, all the good folks at uh, Zoom. But uh, it, um, it's tough. It's tough not, not being in a room together. But I, I am very lucky to be back. I haven't been, I hadn't been in a... In a oh, There they are. There, oh, my God. <laughs> Hey. hey guys. I came down from nowhere. I came down from nowhere. You came back. Is that's so not primo? <laughs> They're the cutest that's kids ever. My son's catchphrase. That was Jack. Teddy's catchphrase is that's so not primo. <laughs> Teddy. Hey, 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 Teddy. That's so not primo. 
All right, back to fan questions. Cutest kids ever. They are, they are for sure. I'm going to double check, see if we have any other uh, super chats here as well, too. And I'm also going to go back here. There's another really good question. I scrolled back a little too far. Uh, <laughs> you no, know, it's fun being back in the writer's room. I hadn't, I hadn't been in, break in the Better Call Saul writer's room since, what was it, season three. So I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky uh, that they let me come back because uh, they, they, as you can tell from watching season five, it was the best season of all the seasons, and I had Jack Squat to do with it. Uh, so uh, it's not like they needed me. But I'm well, th there's a good question as far as endings as well here, too. This is a super chat from Shashank there again as well. Uh, says, do you guys believe that people deserve endings? We don't know about that. Uh, we don't know about that yet, but Hank, tra the tragic ending with Hank, uh, Walt and Bittersweet, uh, and Jesse had a happy one. So, you know, sometimes maybe there there are some characters that don't really have an ending. We might see Kim doesn't necessarily have an ending. She goes off into the woodwork and into the, the, the you know, the horizon, whatever. But do all characters deserve an ending? Or sometimes can they just be kind of where they go kind of thing? That's another good question. I mean, I think all characters that you care about, I mean, the, the, if, if the, I think we would... I mean, we did our best. I can tell you this: we did our best to give all the major characters some sort of a, if not an ending, perhaps I'd use the word a, a, a goodbye, a farewell to the to the show, and and us saying goodbye to them, so to speak. Uh, you know, we, we 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 just plain ran out of time with, with Breaking Bad. You know, we had we had uh, sixteen episodes for the last run, and and in that final sweep of eight episodes, we we worked like crazy to make sure everybody. Had we got to say goodbye to all those major characters, uh, the one like for instance, it, it was we had the least goodbye off the top of my head to Walter Jr., uh, played by the wonderful R.J. Mitty. But the goodbye we had, I think, was very poignant. Uh, there were two goodbyes. It was his final time speaking to his dad, which was in Peter Gould's uh, the penultimate episode of the show, which was some of the some of the finest acting. RJ ever did because we, you know, uh, I mean, because we, he had a scene really, I mean, RJ was always great, but we really gave him that, uh, or Peter rather, gave him that real bravura scene to play on the phone in the principal's office talking to his dad for the last time. Yeah. That was, that was kind of a goodbye, but then the very last time you see him, he's he's getting off the school bus and, and uh, you know, the kid who used to have this badass Hemi, uh, 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 Dodge or, or, or mm -hmm. Chrysler or was, and now he's riding the school bus and he's walking to his uh, their, their, their apartment and, and you know you didn't we didn't get to hear him talk or anything but it was it was it was a, a less he had less screen time in terms of a goodbye but we tried to make it a poignant and memorable non submergible as we always quote Stanley Kubrick you want those non submergible moments exactly. and I think every character uh, of note of importance in a, in any in any ongoing story deserves a, an ending but sometimes you know you just run out of physical space and, and time to do it mm -hmm. but um, yeah I don't know what well, do you think, Tom? I think we I think we did a pretty good job saying goodbye to everyone and the only character I think that really we don't know where he went was Kubi <laughs> so yeah, right. off the top of my head is like yeah. he's sort of like the D-Day of, uh, of the show you know he just off into the sunset somewhere to do some other... He went off to do a uh, podcast. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which well, he's hosting he's, Saturday Night Live soon. That's all I know. Yeah. Oh, is he? Bill Burr hosting yeah. Saturday Night Live? Oh, yeah. That's, he's doing a podcast. Man, God, he has made me laugh so hard. I'm afraid I'm going to burst a blood vessel in my eye. Damn, that guy is funny. He is. <laughs> you know, you, you talk about saying goodbye to all these people. Here's someone saying hello. Someone trying to crash our, our chat, Tom. This Max fellow. Do you know him? Um, I, I'm not sure if I pronounce his name right, but Max Arsenega. Uh, oh. he's, he's saying, uh, send my love to Vince and Tom. I'm on a road trip watching this from a hotel room in ABQ. How ironic. And that fellow, Domingo, Crazy 8, is joining us next week. Oh. Yes. Max Arcianiega, what a wonderful, you handsome man, you handsome devil. <laughs> one and, of the, the few actors, guy. one of the few actors we named a character after we love him yeah. so much. Yes. Can we talk this about is, that for a this second? This is partner. That's yes. fantastic. Let's talk about the first, as we're wrapping up here, That because that, that's a big story. And Tom is hanging out with us one more week, and Tom has to, to jet after next week. We're going to be very sad to lose him, but for it's bittersweet because Tom's busy in the writer's room. We have to not be selfish and let him get back to work with that fantastic team there. But he wanted to stay one more week uh, for Max, and Max wanted Tom as well, too. Max says, if Tom's not there, I'm not doing it. No, he didn't say that. He <laughs> says, the mustache guy is not good enough. we got to have Tom. But there's a lot of history between Tom and Max and maybe the two of you can tell us you know the how important his character is over the the two the two shows and we'll wrap up with that sounds good yeah all right well thanks for coming Vince this is great oh wait you're not answering that question now oh, that's <laughs> no you go ahead no you can, you can take a quick second take take a quick second both of you we're gonna, just... we're gonna do it in person with Max next okay week. we'll do that we'll do that all yeah right. We'll carry over. Way, Eric, you're going to be much better off without Tom. It just, it's just, he's, he's slowing you down here, man. He's just you know, <laughs> low drag after that. It's, there you go. Uh, you guys are great together. I, I always knew Tom should host a, uh, or co-host. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's been actually, you know, I used to do, and, and I'm not trying to blow smoke uh, up your, your bottom end here. Um, but I used to do uh, guitar. Well, I'm a guitar player through and through. Tom knows that. And Tom's a guitar player. Guitar is my main thing. It's what I do. But I used to do an Eddie Van Halen show. It was all EVH this, Van Halen, Van Halen, Van Halen. And I never did get Eddie Van Halen on the show. Um, had some good feedback from him and things like that and you know, worked through intermediaries. But having you on the show is the Eddie Van Halen of the music world. So it's an absolute honor. And I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to go. Where do we go from here, right? So it's a real pleasure. We've had some great guests. We're going to have more great guests with Max next week and continuing on. And I am going to keep the show going after Tom departs, but in um, and, and, and Tom's honor. But having you, Vince, is thank you. Thank you. Oh, uh, Eric, man, this is so much fun. Oh, I'll do it again. I'll get, and also, I, I was like I was saying to you before the uh, uh, before we started, I want to see I want to see you and uh, I want to see you and uh, and Mr. Schnauz jamming, just like just like some Grateful Dead kind of just sort of, right. sort of jam session, <laughs> like make it blues improvisation. Yeah, and then well, I'll play. I'll come back and I'll play the cowbell. You know what oh, I'd love good. to do? You know what I'd love to do? We'll, we'll work on this. We'll try to get, I know a bass player, Derek Smalls, and we can get <laughs> Michael McKeon slash David St. Hubbins to play some guitar and sing. All right? Wanna, and then we'll, we'll need a drummer. We'll work on that. But how about that? So we'll work on this. Well, it's going to take some time, but at least the very, bare minimum, you'll see some jamming with Tom and I when Tom gets some spare time. We'll get season six in the can, and then we'll celebrate with a, a couple beers and some guitars, and we'll have some fun. Vince, thank you so much. We'll get, uh, we will say goodbye to you off the air, so we're not just going to say goodbye now. But everyone, thank you so very, very much. I'm, I apologize we didn't get to all questions, but Vince is a volunteer to come back down the road when he's uh, has some time. And it, it's been fantastic. Hashtag 
Gilliverse family. Let's keep that going. We are a family, and uh, let's be positive and get back to uh, everyone. Get back to work safely and get a fantastic season six of Better Call Saul in uh, 2021. Hopefully. Thank you, everybody. This is a real pleasure. And God bless Thank you. Thank you for making us. Thank you for for everything. You, you, you we, we wouldn't be any either show or the movie without you guys. So thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, with Max Domingo, Crazy 8. We're going to have a fantastic show, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the uh, the show there, Max, in the hotel room. Get some snacks. Uh, if you have any trouble getting the things out of the vending machine, hit up Peter Dyseth. He'll tell you some tricks. And uh, we'll be good to go, and we'll see you next week. And until next time, cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gillivers with Tom and Eric. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul.